Let us turn in the word of God for praise for our worship, for our instruction in righteousness. We turn to the Old Testament and the book of Jeremiah and the chapter 18, the book of Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear the word of Almighty God. The Lord, help us and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word this night. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house. There I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house. And, behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. We turn now to the New Testament, to the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 9. Epistle to the Romans, chapter 9, commencing our reading at the verse 1. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Let us hear his word. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac, shall thy seed be called, that is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. 
For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he hath saith also in Osea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which were not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone, and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. So reads God's inerrant, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word. And may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his precious word to our souls here tonight, and give us an understanding. Let us come before the Lord together. In prayer, let us seek our gracious God this night. Well, dear friends, I read to you in your hearing two portions of God's word. First of all, from Jeremiah and the 18th chapter, and then we turn to the epistle to the Romans and the chapter 9. 
And this evening I want to take for my text words found in Romans chapter 9 and in the verse 23, the 23rd verse. And the theme really is vessels of mercy. We find that in the verse 23. But let me read from the verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. There are two kinds of vessels spoken of here in the verses 22 and the verse 23. Now I want to take the latter, vessels of mercy. This is really what salvation is all about. It is all about God's mercy to unworthy sinners. And here the scriptures use the figure of, we could say, a clay jar, a vessel, something that you would carry water in. We read there, didn't we, from Jeremiah in the 18th chapter, where the Lord said to Jeremiah, come down to the potter's house. And the Lord takes from the lump of clay, there is a marred vessel there, and he makes a new vessel. And certainly this is what a Christian is. A Christian is a new person. God does a mighty work, and he has mercy upon sinners. And so God the Holy Spirit here through the Apostle Paul, it's not just here, but throughout the Scriptures, we find this symbol of a vessel to depict sinners. And I suppose it's a very apt, isn't it, symbol. When you think of it, where have we come from? We've come from the dust. We're told there in Genesis that God took from the dust and made Adam. When he sinned, he was reminded to dust shall he return. God breathed in him, as it were, the Spirit of God, and he became a living soul. I suppose when we think of vessels, we think of the body, we'll think on some passages of Scripture, how Paul says how we ought in our vessels, in our bodies, if we are Christians, to use them for the glory of God. And that is not just how we treat our bodies, but how we live. Do we live to the glory of God? And so God uses the figure of a symbol of a vessel to describe sinners. Some are vessels of mercy. Most are vessels of wrath. Why? Because sin has passed to all men, for all have sinned. So when we look at the lump of Adam, when we look at human society, when God looks down from heaven, We have it declared in the Psalms. He sees that none do good. No, not one. There is not one that is righteous, says God, when he looks down from heaven. In Genesis chapter 9, we see that it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. And then he says, I must destroy man. And so in 120 years, 
after Noah had preached, God said he would destroy man from the face of the earth. God is holy. And it is sin that offends. And as we come into this world, in our vessels, in our bodies, what do we do? We spend our whole lives as sinners entertaining sin and keeping sin in the body. And these are vessels fitted to destruction. We were speaking this afternoon about sinners. Even if somebody could hear the gospel, it's amazing, most people, in fact all people, by nature they resist the word of God. And most people will never hear the word of God. Think of how vast Islam is, how vast the religions of this world are. Most of this world is in pagan darkness. People in Afghanistan, people in various parts of the world, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, many will never, ever, ever, ever hear the word of God. Many in India, worshipping idols and statues. These people are in abject darkness. They have reduced God to what? Figure. To a statue. To a piece of wood. Even, Paul says, they worshipped four-footed creatures. Men made in the image of God. Men made the laws of God written upon their hearts. Have lived, as it were, as their own kings and their own gods in this world. And by nature all, let me say, by nature... As Paul says in Ephesians, are by nature children of wrath. But what God does, you see, friends, is he does fit some for glory. And they are described as here, verse 23, vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Everything, as we even thought this morning, in God's grace, in his covenant, God has covenanted with his Son to save an innumerable company of people out of the four corners of this earth. And they will each one come to hear the word of God as they are quickened, as they are born again, and they believe upon Christ. But we'll think upon these vessels of mercy. Now, let me just put everything into context. It's important that as we come to this verse, and we think here of verse 23, those described as vessels of mercy, and as we think of salvation, it is entirely salvation of God's mercy. That's the first thing. But let us come to the context. And uh, Paul really begins, does he not, in this passage? How does he begin? Romans chapter 9, well, first of all, there is a question. You come to... Uh, Romans chapter 8 at the end, the question is asked, the end, how there is no condemnation, how there is no separation from those who are in Jesus Christ, of course salvation alone is in Jesus Christ, but what about those who do not believe? Have the promises of God failed? Has God failed in his promise to save a people out of this world? Well, the context In verses 1 to 5, Paul expresses his sorrow over the lost Jews of this world. 
You consider it, if you were to go to Israel today, the vast majority do not believe upon Christ. And so it has been throughout successive generations in Israel. And so it is in the world, not just in Israel, but the vast majority of people, not only in Paul's day, have rejected even the Old Testament. Were we not considering this morning in 2 Samuel 23 of that everlasting covenant that David had his hope and his trust in? David was not hoping in his family, in his works, in his righteousness. He said, this is all my salvation. It is fixed upon a gracious God that had mercy on such a sinner as David, such an unworthy sinner. That was David's hope. That was his all. He said, this is all my hope. It was fixed on the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, you notice in verses 1 to 5 here, he expresses his sorrow over the vast, vast majority of lost Jews in this world, not only in his day, but in our day. Has God failed in his promise? Well, he answers, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And you must know this. Those that die without Christ are accursed. And there is no hope for the sinner that dies outside of Christ. Paul says, I wish that myself, I were accursed for my kinsmen. He looks and he reflects upon all that God did and as he spoke to that nation Israel. They had the oracles of God. They had the law. They had the testimony. They had Moses. They had everything. They had the scriptures. And yet, they would not see Christ. They didn't want to. Why? Because they were vessels of wrath. Fitted for destruction. Could not and would not. It's both. Sinners are born with hardened hearts. Lost sinners do not want to see the truth. He says in the epistles, it's like there's a veil. When Christ is preached, there's a veil there. And they think that by the keeping of the law, they could be justified. Whereas, I suppose the ceremonial law was teaching, it was an instructor to them that there must be a sacrifice for sin. That God is holy. Reminded, aren't we, in Hebrews, that the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. And David spoke so clearly, didn't he, about that. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But then Paul quotes in Hebrews, but a body hast thou prepared for me. He was quoting the Lord Jesus. And they rejected Christ, the Messiah. He came to his own, says John, and his own received him not. So the vast majority, they have all these things. But it's not, verse 6, 
as if the promises of God have failed. Why? Because God as a people, not a nationalistic people. What does he say? Verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are as Israel. And he gives an illustration here. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Remember, Isaac had two sons. Who are they? Jacob and Esau. And remember, even in the womb of the mother, there was a great commotion. And she said, what is this? It's two nations, the Lord said. There are two kinds of people even in this world. The rose who loved the Lord. And Jacob proved to love the Lord, although he was a sinner. But Esau, he was a despised man who despised the Lord. A man who the Lord says concerning him, Esau, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God chose the one before the other. But one had a different heart, didn't he? Both sinners. But it's not as if the promise has taken none effect. Why? Because not all who are born in Israel are true Israelites of the heart. Those who have a new heart, these are the children of the promise. The difference is Jacob was born again. God had mercy upon him. He was a vessel of mercy. He came to see his sin. He came to see his unworthiness. Well, you can just read all about the life of dear Jacob. Well, the choice was even made before that. Verse 11, before they were even born. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, that is the mother, Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Esau was an ungodly man. Esau was a defiled man. Esau was not a saved man. Esau did not love God. He's described as a profane man. What explains the difference? It was God's work in one man's life as opposed to the other. God never worked in Esau's heart we must never think that Jacob was any better than Esau. God saved the one and didn't save the other. We ask the question, look at verse 14 as you follow on in Paul's argument. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Was God unjust to change one man's heart and to leave the other man in his sin? Was God unjust? No. Can anybody charge God? With unjustice? Well, the question is said no, is asked, and the answer is no. Again, we have the example of Pharaoh. Even how the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so much was revealed to Pharaoh. Think of all that was shown to Pharaoh. The turning of the Nile into blood. The darkness that covered the land. The hail, the frogs, the lice. 
plague after plague. And then finally, even when Pharaoh lost his own firstborn, that wasn't enough. Was it enough? It wasn't enough. Because he was a hardened vessel. He was a vessel fitted for wrath. The more he resisted God, the harder his heart got. Didn't it? Verse 15, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It was God that showed mercy on Jacob. It was God that showed mercy on Abraham. Father Abraham, even grandfather, God called him out of pagan darkness and brought him to light, quickened him, worked in his heart, and so on. So God is not unjust at all. Verse 19, Thou will say unto me, why doth he yet find fault? Who hath resisted his will? Pharaoh did exactly what he wanted to do. Carry on in his sin. But God in the very same purpose was doing exactly what he wanted to do. Show his wrath upon Pharaoh. And yet, in mercy... He delivered unworthy people, didn't he, out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. It's a picture. Now the question is asked, verse 20, Nay, man, but oh, man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? We're brought back now to the image of a vessel. Back to Jeremiah's. That place where he was told to go down to the potter's house. Verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay, but the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And you think of it, God could have destroyed Pharaoh at his first act of disobedience, and God would have been just. It's the same for any sinner in this world. But God does endure with sinners, my friends. The longer they live, the more wrath they store up for themselves in this world. Now, we want to think this evening on the vessels of mercy. This is a gospel message. We want to think about salvation. Because it is all really of mercy. The Apostle Paul was a vessel of mercy himself. In Acts chapter 9 verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, that is to Ananias, remember as he was to go and uh, wait in that street, in that place, and uh, there was the Apostle Paul, he would find him, and there he would be, and they were greatly afraid because this man Saul of Tarsus had been Persecuting the church, and we read in verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. You see, God struck that man down. 
an enemy of the church. And this is what God does in salvation. He strikes sinners down, and thank God he does. Because if God doesn't strike a man down in his sin, nobody will. A man will remain on the broad road to destruction. Thank God he intervenes in people's lives. Thank God for his mercy. Paul now would be used greatly for the purposes of God. Now, vessels of mercy. We want to think upon this theme. Vessels of mercy. Do the vessels live for themselves? Not at all. We have sung, didn't we, from that hymn. If we are born of God, how, we sang, can I sin anymore? How can I live to sin? Paul says this, doesn't he, in Romans 6. If you have been shown mercy, how can you live to sin? Well, think of it. A vessel of mercy. It must really be empty of self. That's my first point this morning. As we come to this evangelistic message, as we come to preach the word of God, let me say what a truly a Christian is. He must be emptied of self. You think of it if you, you have a need to transport water from one place to another. It's no point, is it, to take something, to take a clay jar that is full of pencils or full of sand. You can't use it. And it's the same when God saves. The sinner must be empty of self. We have that wonderful illustration, remember, in the days of Elisha. If you turn to 2 Kings 4, verses 1 to 7 there, we read, And there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, The servant, thy servant, my husband, is dead. And we know this woman was destitute. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Well, that would be of no use. It's already full, isn't it? Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shall pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So he says to her, go and Ask all your neighbors for empty vessels. And in a sense, when God makes somebody new, he empties them of self. If she went and asked for full vessels, there'd have been no use. You can't use them. And so it is. You talk to somebody on the street, and you tell them about the Lord, you tell them about salvation, you tell them about eternal life, and they say something like this, well, I have a house, I have a wife, I have a car, I have a good job. Why do I need God? Their life is full. Their life is full. But they don't see beyond this life. And you see, it is when God brings you to a realization that there is a life beyond this world, and that there is a God that you have sinned against, you never understand. 
Many people are like vessels that are full, full of this world. People have never been emptied. It's another way of speaking of being poor in spirit and seeing yourself to be destitute and, and a nobody and a no hoper before God. And you realize that all you've lived for is empty, it's vanity, and you're going to meet your Creator. What have you to present before Him of all that you've lived for in this life? That's an empty vessel. And you see yourself to be undone before a holy God. I want to ask you, what kind of a vessel are you tonight? If you are a vessel of wrath, your life is full. You say, I have no need of God. I have everything in this world. This world attracts me. This world allures me. I have no burden of my sin. But my friend, there is a holy God that has made you. You are his creature. You have come from Adam. Just as I have come from Adam. We all come from the same clay. We all come from the same stuff. Vessels of wrath. That's what man is. Each and every one. As you look at your family, no matter how beautiful a child might be in your family, you look at them, they are vessels of wrath. Unless God has had mercy on them. For they have lived as little creatures in this world, living to themselves, living in their own pretentious mind as if there is no God. And if there is one, he doesn't care whether I have broken his laws. He doesn't care. Well, the unbeliever says, I have my good health, I have my car, I have my wife, why do I need the Lord? Yes, but he's forgotten one thing. God has given him a soul. And in that vessel, in that body of his, he has dishonored God. He has not only either abused his body and abused others, but he has not glorified God in his body. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Do we realize that our body is merely a carcass that houses our souls? So what are the vessels of mercy like? They thank God for his mercy. They thank God that God, as it were, had to become clay. God had to come into this world and to become a man. The Lord Jesus had to take to himself bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. They thank God that he lived and that he died for all who believe upon him. They realize they deserve to be condemned with the rest of society, with the rest of the world. But God has saved them, brought them to that conclusion that they are sinners. And their only hope is the Lord Jesus. Let me say, they realize now that the vessel of themselves must be used for the Lord. 
That's really what a Christian is, isn't it? God has had mercy on me. How can I allow now myself to live to sin? How can I, Paul says, know ye not that you were bought with a price? Go to the potter's house. He has to make a new, but friends, he can only make a new through a new Adam. Through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, you see, by one man, sin entered in. But by another man, Jesus Christ, we are told one man, that is Adam, became a living soul. But we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ became a life-giving spirit, you see. His spirit gives life. And now in that vessel, that person wants to honor God. And they, in their vessels, if you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, we read there, 2 Timothy 2, 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. My friends, this is what salvation brings. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are ye saved through faith, which is the gift of God. And Paul tells us in verse 10 that we are, if we are Christ, if we are born again, we are His workmanship, created unto good works, which God before has prepared that we should walk therein. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, we are to be sanctified vessels. For this is the will of God, says the Apostle Paul, even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. You see, the Christian, because he's a vessel of mercy, he now values his vessel because it is for God. Everything that I am now is for God. That's the difference between these two vessels. You want to know whether you're a, a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. How do you view yourself? Good question to ask, isn't it? Are you the Lord's? Well, if you are the Lord's, you're a vessel of mercy. They are to be filled with the Spirit of God. Matthew 25. We, we know that. It's a wonderful parable. You think of the, the ten virgins there. And uh, there they are, supposed Christians, supposed believers, and true virgins. Ten virgins. We notice in Matthew 25, 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil and their vessels with their lamps. 
in the vessels they had oil. And they would fill the lamp. And it's a picture of being filled with the Spirit. God's people who are vessels of mercy listen to His Spirit. They listen to His Word. And they're filled with truth and they love the truth. When God's Word says they're sinners, they say, yes, I am a sinner. But they cry out to God, help me, Lord. Help me in my sin. I confess my sin. I confess my unworthiness. The proud. He doesn't think he needs God's Spirit. Have no need, but when the Master comes, they've found wanting. They've lived for themselves. They've lived it up. They've never known the Spirit of God in the life. Those are vessels of wrath, my friends. The vessels of mercy depend upon God. They realize they're a new creation. And they need God to continue that creation, that new creation in them. They're born of God. They're born of the Spirit. Now they live to God. They don't live to this world. This world's empty to them. They see that it is passing away and the lust thereof. Yes. There's a hymn we, we sing. We shall sing tonight. Behold the potter in the clay. He forms his vessels as he please. Such is our God and such are we. The subject of his high decrees. Does not the workman's power extend or all the mass which part to choose and mold it for a nobler end, which to leave for viler use? May not the sovereign Lord on high dispense his favors as he will? Choose some to life while others die, and yet be just and gracious still. You see, the vessels of wrath, they love sin. And they don't mind filling their lives with sin. Think of a vessel. You go to make a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. What do you want? You want a clean cup, don't you? You don't go and you take a dirty cup. You say, well, I'll have a nice cup of tea. You say, I must wash this out. You see, that's how the Pharisees were. Remember how they, they were there with the washing of the hands and how they watched the, watched the Lord Jesus and the, his disciples, watched them intently and closely. They observed how the Pharisees, well, they went through this ritual and it was a long ritual of pouring water down their arms and washing and making sure. That the outward was clean. It was all ceremony. But inside, the Lord says they're filthy. And you see, when, you, when you're a vessel of mercy, you hate the filth of sin. You reflect upon your life and your past. Let me ask you, friend, if you can sit there comfortably in your seat, not be perturbed by the sin of your life. Be comfortable to rise up another day. To, as it were, pick up your cup of coffee or your cup of tea and just go on. And you remind you, you're a vessel of wrath. Sin doesn't trouble you. 
The sin, the vileness of sin doesn't trouble you. The acridness, the stench of it doesn't trouble you. But when you you become a vessel of mercy, you realize what took place there on the cross. You realize all the filth and the stench of the sin of God's people. Christ drank it up when he, he looked in the garden into that bitter cup. What did the Father say? And what did the Son say? The Son said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The Savior had to drink the guilt and the judgment of that sin, of his people. And then he had to suffer for it. There upon the cross, he had to be abandoned. He had to be forsaken of the Father on account of that sin. And every time the Christian looks at his life or her life, and they look at sin, they say, I can't live to my sin anymore. After all my Savior has done for me. He has now washed me in his blood. I can't live to sin. He has called me to be a vessel to glory, to fit me for glory, to take me to glory, to take me to heaven. How can I be comfortable in my sin? How can I be pleased with my sin? So many are concerned, like the Pharisees, with the outward. But the one who is truly saved is concerned with the heart. With what you are before God and God alone. With keeping his word. With keeping his commandments. The Lord Jesus said, blessed is the man that hears the word of God and keeps it. Let the fake Christians call him or her a legalist. Let them say what they want. But I will live for Christ. And I will love him. Because in that body of my Savior was one who said, I delight to do thy law. And he did it. He didn't just say it, but he did it. And if that same spirit is in a vessel of mercy, that person will live Christ. That person will live Christ. Paul said for me to live is Christ. You want to know... If you're a vessel of mercy, God will expose your sin to you, your unworthiness, and the altogether worthiness of Christ. The world is living in the filth of its sin, and it drinks down sin like water every day, but not the child of God. He will be fit for the Master's purpose here. He will be a sanctified vessel for the Lord. It's a great question to ask tonight. Where are we? Where is our soul? Are we right with God? Or are we a vessel of wrath? Storing up, as Paul said, the wrath of God. You can have much light 
even as Pharaoh, so great and wondrous things. Even as the Jews, they had the law, they had the oracles. But has God's mercy really come to you? If it has, you're a new creation. There's a new life. There's a new spirit in you. You live to the praise of God.